Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Attention Strictly Hoop Talk and Strictly Hip Hop listeners. Fans, you know I've been talking about this clothing line forever, but Anti-Forever USA is where you need to be to get dope clothes, man. I'm telling you, I just got a hoodie in the mail today. It is awesome. It is one of their premium uh, hoodies, and they have they have so much more, though, than hoodies. They have beanies. They have hats. They have long sleeves. They have t-shirts. They have everything, and they got more stuff coming soon. I was just told that they have more stuff coming soon, so fans... Go to Anti Forever USA today and remember to use the special co- promo code PLATTY to get 10% off your purchase. That's P-L-A-T-T-E. And make sure you know that the P is capital. The link will be in the description of the podcast. Shop Anti Forever USA today. AntiForeverUSA.com Alright fans, hello and welcome to Strictly Hoop Talk, a special episode of Strictly Hoop Talk. I have my first uh, my first former NBA player and alumni of the greatest school in the world, Michigan State University. That's former Clippers big Paul Davis. Paul, how you doing? Doing great, thanks for having me and uh, definitely right, uh, number one school, best school ever. <laughs> yeah, best school ever, best school ever. Alright, so... Um, we're just going to talk some Eastern Conference playoffs real quick. Uh, we'll recap uh, Game 7 of the Wiz and Celtics. The Celtics win to advance. Uh, they kind of they kind of seized control in the late third and, and kind of held it throughout uh, most of the fourth quarter uh, despite a few a few rallies from, from Washington. But uh, one of the things I noticed was John Wall struggling in the second half. And you, as a former NBA player, have an interesting perspective on this. How do you... How does it how does it affect a team when your lead guy is struggling, especially when you consider it as like such a high state game like in game seven? Well it's tough. I mean, 
So um, I I don't know about you, but um, because because I do podcasts and everything, I have to make predictions. And so I came into this series expecting Washington to totally kill them. I thought they had the better starting lineup, and in the playoffs, starting lineup is is um, much more important than than bench depth in the regular season. And but the Celtics just honestly, I picked the Wizards in five, and I was dead wrong. Obviously, it's the Celtics one and seven. But um, one thing I noticed was Isaiah pick and roll. Washington had no answers for, and Gortat was helpless. And that combined with the depth was what I believe won them the series. And so, as as a former big man in the league, how do you how do you try and defend a pick and roll against a player like that? Because I didn't see I didn't see Washington make far too many adjustments. Well, you know, it's um, it's a, it's a tough thing, and it, it doesn't necessarily all fall on the players. Coaches, obviously, they see them a lot. Uh, you know, both teams see each other a lot. Um, being in the same conference and then Game Seven, I mean, both teams know each other, you know, front and back. But um, you know, whatever their idea or whatever their strategy was for defending the pick and roll, you know, it's sometimes it's a little harder to, you know, in a Game Seven to think of something on the fly and so obviously Boston had uh, an idea of what they were going to do and they were going to exploit it now if you know if you're playing just against a you know a normal guy maybe the, the defense would work but obviously Isaiah Thomas unfortunately you know his situation with you know his family his sister you know I think that's risen his game and Boston's game but um, you know Washington they had they had an 
make a, an adjustment, but then Boston's ready to, uh, you know, counter that. So it's a, it's a hard thing. You know, it all comes down to it. you got guys that are making plays. you got guys that are extremely good at what they do. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it's a different game, whereas, uh, you know, in college it's more of a team effort. And in the NBA, as far as on defense, and in the NBA it's more or less – Yeah, and, and yeah, I noticed that because Gortat honestly looked uncomfortable throughout that whole series, uh, and that seemed to be the the pick and roll that they seemed to attack. They seemed to like attack attacking Gortat, and I'm speaking for Boston. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's a tricky situation, I, and I think that was really what won them the series. I thought I thought Isaiah kind of ate them alive with that pick and roll, but um, oh. I, I don't know if you caught this, but after after the series, John Wall said that the season was a failure, and um, I would consider it a huge success when you look at how they started. I believe they were like two and nine or something of, of that nature, and then getting to a game seven, a game away from a conference finals berth. Um, do you think it? Do you think this was a failure for Washington? No, no. I mean, uh, I don't. You know, they haven't necessarily been in that. You know that level of NBA teams to where they're one of four left. You know, I think in a long time. I'm not sure what their you know playoff record has been the last couple of years, but uh, I think in everybody's mind to go to Game Seven um, for a Washington team, you know, before the conference finals. I think in everybody else's mind, that's a pretty good season. Now it's good that your superstar is saying it's a failure, and you know that they're not going to kind of rest on, oh, we did a good job, you know, we don't need to change much, but I don't know how many, you know, I think they could have easily lost uh, maybe in, in the first round, or I forget who they were playing, but, you know, to have one of those teams, even Boston, I mean, a year ago or two years ago, nobody would ever thought that they would be in the, in the conference finals playing the Cavs, so. I think for both those teams, it was, it was good, and anything can happen in a game seven. Um, I, I think it's, you know, it, it's good that they obviously had and did something right, but it's also good that you have your superstar saying that we need to do something better. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I, I agree. Um, so let, let's transition to Cavs-Celtics now. Uh, game one tips off at 8.30 tonight, Eastern time on TNT. Uh, a strange road, but we're here now because, I mean, the Celtics look dead in the water in the first round going down 0-2 to the Bulls, but now they're here in the conference finals. Uh, Cleveland's heavy favorites, and I've been one that's been skeptical on Boston all playoff, all playoffs, all season long, but they have proved me wrong time and time again. Uh, but I, in this matchup, I'm really struggling to see where Boston has an advantage. Do you do you think they have any type of advantages? Is there is there something you see? I think 
I, I would agree with you. I would agree with you. Um, you know, it it's it's hard. Uh, I the only way I see it is if Isaiah has another you know fifty point game like he did, and uh, I believe that was game two of the series that that miraculous uh game on his sister on his sister's birthday. That was that was really the only way I see, or that is the only way I see Boston uh winning a game in this. I'm I'm with you. So uh, you're predicting a sweep for this series? Yeah, I mean. You know, maybe they pick up one game, but I just can't see that. I think the Cavs are going to go, uh, you know, two and zero in Cleveland, and then, you know, in in Boston, I don't know. It's uh, maybe one game, but I, I just can't see that. See that happen in Cleveland. It's looked like a completely different team in, in the playoffs. And like I said, if uh, you know, if they met maybe in the first round, maybe things would be different. But to me now, after you know, Cleveland has, you know, gone uh, without a loss, and um, you know, I'm not sure how many games Boston's played, but you know, to finish uh, Game Seven, you know, just a couple days ago, and then have to turn around and play play Cleveland, uh, you know, it's it's not going to be pretty. They're, you know, they'll put up a fight, but like I said, I think they'll get swept. Uh, but I cannot see them winning more than one game if they do. Yeah. Um, yeah. So th- that's re- that's really all I have to say on, on Cleveland Celtics as well. I don't I don't think it's going to be that competitive of a series. Um, I think Boston will try and make games three and four competitive, but outside of that, I don't I don't see Boston uh, getting getting more than it, more than a game in this series. Uh, so you played it. You played in the league for for a few years. So at, and when you play for the Clippers, you play with. Very interesting guys like Elton Brand, uh, Ricky Davis. I know Zach Harper loves Ricky Davis. Shout out Zach Harper, um, Sam Cassell. Uh, give give me a good story dealing with with one of them. Well, yeah, I mean they're even more Katina Mobley, Corey McGetty. Yeah, came in. I mean you could do uh, you could do a few hours on different <laughs> stories, but um, I don't know. It was. Uh, a lot of firsts for me. I mean, going from kid from Michigan to all of a sudden in LA with you know grown men, and you know I was I was the only rookie, and I had all these all these veteran guys, which you know really took me under their wing, and uh, you know it was just it was a great great experience. I, you know I wouldn't wouldn't have wanted it to you know go any differently. Um, you know, it's just it's just tough going from you know high school where you know you're you're the go-to guy, and in college where it's similar, and then you get to the pros and you're thinking, oh, you're gonna you know get this playing time and this and that. But you know, Mike Dunleavy, Mike Dunleavy, who the coach was, which is a great coach, one of those all-time NBA kind of guys. Um, you know, he, he's not gonna put a rookie in when. You know, LA is paying these guys ten or fifteen million dollars a year, so you know he's going to ride and die with with those guys. Uh, so that that was a, that was a big adjustment. Um, luckily, obviously, you hear the stories about the rookie hazing and things like that. I didn't really get any of that. I just, you know, if they asked me to do something, and I, you know, I kept my mouth shut. And I did it. Um, the worst thing I had to do was. Probably in our preseason, we went over to Moscow, which is funny because that's where I, I ended my professional career. But 
so we, we had to fly over to Moscow for the NBA Global Games, and Mike Dunleavy, Coach Dunleavy gave out these playbooks, which, you know, on their own, they're not, uh, not too heavy, but, um, you know, have 15 or 20 of them in a box. That's the box I had to carry from Los Angeles to Moscow to everybody's hotel room and then collect them and, and carry them back. That was that that was an experience on its own because it's like you're in a movie box across the world. Um, but you know, it was it was a great great first year, great you know three years there. It was you know great memories you know with those guys, and I mean those, those guys were in the league for 15 plus years. You know, so uh, like I said, it was. No bad stories. I'm sure there's some stories I can't necessarily tell, uh, you know, over the phone or on a podcast. But like I said, uh, you know, Chris Kamen, who's obviously a Michigan guy, him and I had a, had a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the other time is when he decided to play paintball in, inside his house, which obviously you can imagine was creating a mess and, and this and that. But, you know, it's just... Uh, that's what happened when you when you give a Michigan kid a lot of money and put him in L.A. He just starts, <laughs> you know, tearing stuff up. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, also, one of one of the most interesting things about your career is you played with uh, Sean Livingston. Now that was before the injury, right? Yeah, but I, I was actually uh, I was there when when he had the injury. Um, I, I actually had the flu that game, so I was at home and watching it on TV, didn't necessarily see it right away, but I, I remember our, our trainer, uh, who's still there, uh, Jason Powell, and he jumped up, I mean, he saw it, he jumped up, and I mean, he, he, knew what, he knew what happened. Um, he basically, out of the four ligaments in his knee, he, he basically was holding on by a thread, or his, his knee would have just Um, so what was that? What was like the aura around him? Because I remember he was obviously highly touted and and looked at in a very high light. What was like? What was the the sense of of him and his potential? Like how were guys around the league talking about him before the injury? I mean, he I think he might have been on his rookie deal or right at the end of his rookie deal when when that happened. And you know, being drafted and I think it was maybe mid first round. You know, he got obviously a good rookie contract, but, you know, to be a pretty much legit 6'9", 6'10", point guard, um, you know, he was on pace to get a max deal back then, which, you know, is like 50 or $60 million. Now, obviously, the max is, you know, much, much higher. <laughs> yeah. But it was, you know, he, he did a lot of great things. I mean, he was like a, a Magic Johnson kind of thing. He just didn't have the, the weight to him. You know, and obviously he's just not that kind of guy who's going to look like, you know, be a, a physical brute force. But, um, you know, think of, uh, think of like Kevin Durant right now. And that, that's what he was doing. But he, he was more of a point 
that's interesting, man. I, I, I'm so happy for Sean Livingston that things have turned around and now he's contributing on a championship team. Lastly, before I get you out of here, our boy Miles Bridges has returned to MSU. Uh, was that a smart move for him? And how do you feel about our Spartans hoop, next hoop season? Absolutely. I mean, during the season, um, you know, and even towards the end, you know, I was always telling people, if they get everybody back, you know, put your money on, on them being a Final Four team. Um, and the reason being is you get that group back, you got some good freshmen coming in, but also coach, you know, they understand coach a little bit more, and I think Izzo can, he can push them a lot harder this time around where, you just couldn't do that because the freshmen, all those guys were learning on the fly. You know, when I came in, I had, uh, you know, five or six seniors on the team or upperclassmen that, you know, played a significant amount of time. So if I was on a bench, I could kind of watch them and see what they were doing. You know, these freshmen didn't necessarily have that. You know, they were playing almost 30 minutes a game. And so when there was a mistake, it was just you're just hearing it from coach or you're hearing it from, you know, the assistant coaches. So it, you know, even though last year was a little up and down and I think people wanted it, you know, to go better for, for what they did, especially in the preseason and the injuries and stuff they had to deal with, I think they, you know, they overachieved with what they had to do. Um, now with, with Miles, I mean, good and bad, you know, he, he got to play a lot more than maybe he would if, let's say, there were more upper upperclassmen or seniors that were playing. Um, now, that showed a lot of his skill, a lot of his talent, but also showed a few, few of his weaknesses. And strictly from that fact, I mean, it's going to be a great thing for him to have another summer another uh, another season to to kind of fix those you know where maybe last year he had to do and try to do everything which is a you know a huge task for a freshman um but you know this time around i think he can kind of find you know find his rhythm within the offense uh he doesn't necessarily have to take 15 to 20 shots a game so it's really going to help him. I think he's going to be drafted higher next year than he would have this year. You know, even if it is in the top ten, you know, he's he's going to move up a little bit. But uh, you know, he's a great kid. He's not one of those uh, you know superstar one and done kind of mentality. I, I think I think he wanted to leave his mark, even though he had an amazing freshman season. I think he wanted to. You know, hang a banner in some way. Obviously, being from Flint, um, you know, he obviously won't stay for his junior year, but I think next year is going to be special for him, for Nick Ward, for, for all those guys. I, I know that, uh, you know, after next season, I think, you know, some of the, a lot of the team might be, might be moving out, whether they're seniors or guys going to the NBA. So I, I think coach, I think the the university, the fans, I think everybody's putting it in uh, to this year. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, just the environment, the atmosphere, and the build-up for the season. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, with Miles Bridges, it's, it seemed like, you're right, he was asked to do everything, and it seemed like he was one of those players that 
He obviously has the physical tools to be a great NBA player even. But um, the, the thing is, like, he seemed to have the talent, but he just didn't put the pieces together. And I think that an, a summer and an offseason with Izzo will, will really help that. Um, you said you said he had some weaknesses. What do you think is his biggest weakness that he needs to improve on? Let's say uh, just the decision making. You know he'll you know he'll get into the lane and you know he'll use his athleticism. But um, you know teams start scouting more and they they take away maybe his right hand or left hand this and that. Um, so it's more or less just the decision decision making. He could probably cut his turnovers in half this 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 time around, and you know if he would have gone last year, you know maybe he would need a year or two, you know in the NBA and and this and that to get, uh, you know to kind of get fine tuned to where he is playing twenty or thirty minutes a game now. I think after this year he'll be able to jump into that role quicker once he's once he's in the NBA. But um, you know. It's more or less the decision making. I mean, all these mistakes or turnovers that you know that we were having this year, you know, seventy-five or eighty percent of them was just that's just what freshmen do. I mean, that's what we did. That's what every freshman goes to. It's just different when you can kind of hide that when you're only playing one freshman. Obviously, sometimes they had four freshmen on the court, so that that made the mistakes you know magnified and. You know, this time around, that won't help. That won't happen. Um, you know, so it's going to be. A, I think you're going to see a big difference in a lot of things, and you're going to see the team is uh, extremely fine-tuned. And you have, you know, their leader, uh, Tom Tom. You know, going into his last year. I mean, this is it. I mean, they're, they're a Final Four team and uh, potentially a championship team. And I think. Team knows the coach knows all the kids, students, everybody, former players, all the fans. I mean, this is a year. It's not you know. There's a lot of pressure, but that's what that's what you want when you come to university like this. Is that you 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 build up to have a year, a potential year like this, and now it's just up to them to go get it. All right. Well, thank you, Paul, for coming in and uh, doing the podcast with me. I appreciate it. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule and. I'm glad that we could finally sit down and uh, figure out a time that worked for us both to record this. So thank you. Absolutely. Uh, you know, anything for, uh, you know, for Spartan and hopefully, um, you know, come, come the college season, we can jump on another one. Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, maybe even bring you back for some, for some draft talk later. Um, but all right, all right, man. Thank you for, thank you for joining the podcast. Right. Thank you.